Hey folks, welcome back to the Live Everything Podcast. This is your host, Trivius Caldwell. Hey, I really appreciate you hitting that button, spending your time with me today. I hope you enjoy what you hear. And if you do, and if you like it, subscribe to it and share it. And uh, let me know uh, if you need any elaboration on what I'm talking about. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to share my experiences with you and other folks who I otherwise wouldn't come in contact with. So I hope this helps you become a better you. It certainly helps me become a better me. And I hope you enjoy what you hear. Thanks. Hey folks, welcome back to the Live Everything Podcast. This is your host, Trivius Caldwell. And today we're picking up where we left off. We are talking about West Point. I'm really excited today because I'm going to call on a former student as a way to cross boundaries from being a teacher to being a mentor. And he's hopefully going to share with you his military experience at West Point and his recollections from my class. I've also asked him to, uh, to just stay tuned in for a, uh, a general discussion that can go a number of ways, so stay tuned. So we're picking up where we left off the last episode talking about West Point. And the benefit of doing this podcast is that I can step away and think about the stuff that I said as I listened to uh, the the recording and, and really think about and did, I, did I get that right? Did I leave out anything? Um, did I need to elaborate on anything? Um, and the way I'm doing this is not scripted. So it's a benefit to you, the listener, because you get to hear my stream of consciousness in real time. And so, you know, what happens is, you know, whatever comes up kind of comes out. And I think that's a general depiction of of my memory. Uh, but again, you know, you leave out things and, and you wish you could elaborate on more things. So what I thought to do was to call in uh, a couple of cadets. Uh, you'll hear from one today. Um, and then I referenced one in my podcast and you'll hear from that student as well. Um, for the sake of anonymity, I won't use their last names, uh, but today you're going to hear from Devin. I'm going to call him shortly. Um, and I didn't prep him other than to say, you know, to speak freely and we're just going to have a general discussion. Uh, but in, in, you know, returning back to that podcast, if you haven't listened to it, what I tried to do was explain my memory of West Point and what was going on in my head as I crossed the boundary from being a military officer, which which I still am, uh, even at West Point, I was a military officer. But being in an operations uh, sort of role, um, especially coming from from the 82nd Airborne Division, where the op tempo, the operational tempo is really high to transition into to being a teacher um, postgraduate school at Auburn up at West Point. And so I, I talked a little bit about that and the things that motivated me, uh, the things that were going on in my personal life uh, to try to uh, really be at home at a place like West Point when it was so disparate from what I knew uh, about the world. And so I hope you tune into that podcast probably prior to this one, because I, I sent that one to the cadet to let him listen to it for some context. Now, this particular cadet, I'll, I'll save the intros until I get him on the phone, but, um, you know, he was in my class, and, and, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but hopefully he can cooperate some of what I've said. And, and, you know, if he has a different experience, then that's great, too, because I'll learn something. And, you know, throughout today's episode, you should hear 
um, how a relationship from teacher to student morphs into a mentor-mentee relationship uh, because I have spoken to him over the years. Uh, I think he was in my class back in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's 2023 now, so you can do the math. But that's you know that's typical. That's atypical for an English teacher to stay in contact with a student for that long. But because we have this this great bond in the military, uh, we're able to transition that that student teacher role to mentor mentee. Um, so uh, stand by, and I'll I'll give him a call, and and we'll we'll proceed with the uh, the conversation today. All right, let's see if we can call Devin up. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Hey, brother. What's going on? Can you Not hear? Much. Can you, you hear me? Okay. Yeah. How do I sound? Pretty clear. Yeah, you sound good. You sound good. Is All it? Right, it's perfect. morning where you are, right? You two hours back. Yeah, Roger, sir. It's like uh, eleven thirty right now, or eleven ten. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Hey, so I, um, <laughs> I, we got about an hour, I guess. Um, and so, uh, did you? You got my text message, yes? Yeah. Were you able to listen to the um, the old podcast, the, the one I sent you? Uh, actually, negative. I did not. That's okay. That that makes it even better. Because <laughs> okay. you have no context. I'm actually I'm recording now, so um, you know, it, it's just me in the studio. Um. But yeah, so I, I just wanted to to pick your brain, like I mentioned, um, about your re- recollections as a cadet and everything. I'm gonna ask you the same question that I text to you, just for for context, uh, and then we can just yeah. have a, a general discussion. Um, are you you're not working today? Are you? No, I am, sir. Oh, okay, okay, cool. All right. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, I got this question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it to you. Um, but it's the same thing I text you. You know, describing your your West Point experience from our day through graduation. Um, you know, what it's like transitioning from being a civilian to a new cadet and then plebe. Uh, and then, you know, curious to know about your reflections on my course uh, based on the last podcast. But you don't have to reference that because you didn't listen to it. Um, and then how you remember your overall undergrad experience. Now, I'll just for the sake of, um, I guess, the folks that might listen to this, um, um, I'll I'll cover a, sort of a brief introduction. Then you can you're on here. You can talk about yourself. But. But uh, for Devin was a, a a student of mine. I think you were uh, 2016 or 2017. You were in my class. 2016. 16. Wow, man! I think that was my first year teaching. Um, and was it lit or comp? It was literature, sir. Okay, so it would have been my second semester. So, so b- by that point, I would have kind of got the dust off a little bit, and I wasn't as nervous teaching you guys. Um, and, you know, when you're in my class, but but uh, Devin and I's relationship go back to 2017. And uh, has sort of morphed from being a uh, teacher-student to mentor-mentee. Um, and that's kind of what I want to explore, Devin. I, I've tried to set up this podcast to explain the benefits of crossing boundaries. And, and the great thing about the military is this communal bond that where we can keep sort of a relationship where I learn from you and then you can learn from me. Um, and if I remember right, I'm a Steelers fan. You're from Pittsburgh. Is that right? I'm not from Pittsburgh, but I am a Steelers fan. You're Steelers fan. Yeah, I remember your family coming down. They had a bunch of Steelers paraphernalia. <laughs> and I, I do mm-hmm. remember that, meeting your folks. So so I, I'll stop there, and then I'll, I'll kind of, you know, give it over to you to, to you know, do your intro and then kind of go into it. And then we'll just have a, a general discussion. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was in your class in 2017. Graduated West Point in 2020 as an infantry officer. Went to Bullock. Went to Ranger School. Came down to Fort Bliss, was a platoon leader, 
did a rotation of Korea, and now I'm an XO down here. Um, yeah, that's pretty much me. Yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. You've done a lot. Are you, are you planning to stay? Uh, you don't have to say that, but <laughs> are you? I, I think we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, we're. Uh, I'm still exploring some routes. Um, honestly, it's still kind of early. I've kind of taken it one job at a time and just focused on that one. Yeah, uh, I'm training up for selection right now. We'll see how that goes, but I will say, you know, the next six months, I'll probably have a better answer to that question, but. Pretty much, like I said, every six months it kind of changes and your perspective changes. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. You know, I, I was talking about West Point in uh, in my last podcast because I, you know, I didn't go there, and I was talking about sort of my impressions with it when I when I first arrived, and I made the statement, you know, this is this is what I'm going to ask you to talk about our day. Like I saw the cadets come up on our day, and um, they almost looked comatose because, because they didn't know what was going on. And it's like a, a conveyor belt where they push you guys through and you go into there one way and you come out another way. Um, can you, can you talk about that or your memory of that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Our day, it's the, they take you from point A to point B on our day. Like you said, it's very much a conveyor belt. Uh, I know you start off, you and your family go down to I call, you check in and I think they have uh I don't remember who exactly gives the speech, but they have one of the higher ups in the academy give this big speech. And then they look at you and they say, hey, you have 60 seconds to say your goodbyes and be outside. So, you know, as soon as they say that, there's just a wail of cries throughout the auditorium. Everybody's <laughs> saying goodbye. All the all the new cadets are terrified already running down, trying to get outside before the 60 second mark. And you get outside, the doors close behind you. And as soon as the doors close you have the firsties that come around the corner and, you know, the senior cadets that come around and just immediately start yelling at everybody and getting you in formation. They teach you how to march right away. They take you up and that's how it starts. They go through uh, all my West Point terminologies, you know, kind of forgotten. I, for, I can't remember <laughs> the academic building right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I figure it's all a haze because, you, you know, a lot's coming at you guys. I had an opportunity to sort of observe that process and, and the new cadets, I guess that's what they called you guys, new cadets. They had no clue what was going on. It was just like, just fear all around. <laughs> fear, fear and yeah. some some regret. Uh, it looked like some regret. Like, what, you know, what did I sign up for? Absolutely. Because like you said, it's a conveyor belt. So they take you to the academic building and you go classroom to classroom and they do things from like your vaccinations that you haven't had to your pull-up test to your... Um, they do like a balance test. Cause that's one thing they do with the new kids throughout that first summer is they run a lot of tests, um, to gather data for these academic studies. So you're just going down this hallway and same thing. You're just following the cadet in front of you, telling you what to do. And then they push you out. You go to the quads where the barracks are. They have you drop your bags, you switch in your PTs, you get your haircut. And then they teach you how to do your, your marching, your, your basic drill and ceremony. And then next thing you know, you're in your your uniform. You got your gloves on, and you're you're waiting to march out onto onto the parade field in front of all your families. You know, eight hours later. <laughs> yeah. How did you feel doing all of that? Did you feel like you were? I mean, I know it was fast and furious, but um, you know, did you feel like you had abandoned your former self, or or were you just kind of just enthusiastic about it being a spectacle? Uh, I was extremely enthusiastic because all I'd ever want to do is get in the army and be a soldier so i was very enthusiastic going in and the first half of the day isn't bad because like i said you're working with these students and um these teachers doing all these studies 
And then once you start to do the DNC, that's when they hand you over to the cadets that kind of run you as your, your drill sergeants, if you will. And then you do your parading and then they bring you in, they do your introductions to your chain of command, your cadet chain of command. And yeah, I'll never forget being in my room that night, unpacking my duffel bags. And I, I, I was looking out the window and I was like, man, like what, what have I got myself into? And I'll <laughs> never, I'll never forget that feeling of 18 year old me just thinking like, oh man, like we got six more weeks of this. Yeah. Is it, is West Point what you wanted to do? Like, did you, did you know that early in high school or were you pushed to do it? So I had the opportunity to visit West Point when I was a freshman because essentially I kept telling my parents, they always knew I was, you know, in camouflage from the time I was five all the way up till I was, you know, 18. <laughs> and so they knew I was going in the army and my mom kind of made a deal. She was like, if you're going to go in the army, I want you to be an officer. And I was like, all right, well, I didn't even really know the difference. I think this conversation happened in like eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And so we went up, we visited uh, my freshman year of high school. And yeah, you know how it is. Your first impressions when you're there, I was like, oh, absolutely. Like, this is my concession to yeah. join the army. Like, I'll go here. <laughs> Little did you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Now, if, if memory serves me right, I think I, so the first time you guys came back as new cadets from the field, uh, were you carrying a guide on? Did you have to carry like a state um, flag or something? Yes. Yeah, so I was for one of the it was like the Fourth of July ceremony. Yeah, yep. I got chosen because they pulled cadets from every state and I got chosen for Rhode Island to, to hold the guide on. Yeah, I got a picture of that. I got a picture. Do you really? I do. I do. Because I think I, that's how I, I knew who you were in the class, because I said, man, I, I recognize you from somewhere. When you listen to the first podcast, I don't talk about you on the first podcast, but I did a lot of observing on Trophy Point that day. And, um, and mm -hmm. I took pictures because it's kind of majestic, you know, the way they had it set up. And you didn't see it because you were sort of coming down the hill and like you, <laughs> you guys were comatose. But but from a um, from a parent perspective or like an observer's perspective, it was something to see, man. You know, you guys down there in all mm -hmm. white uniforms on the backdrop. The backdrop is the Hudson River and everything. And so I took pictures of everything. And, and I remember you carrying a state flag because I, I looked up at you in my class. I said, I've seen you before somewhere. Um, so, wow, serendipity, right? That's crazy. I never knew that. Yeah. I'm, I'll try to find it and I'll send it to you. Um, sounds kind of weird, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not just you. It's like you're you're in a yeah. crowd full of folks. Um, mm -hmm. It's just funny though. I never had thought because you know when you're there, like you said, you just get out of the field. And by that point, I had my feet underneath me. Um, we had just done a lot of military training, and so that's really where I found my stride. And then yeah, they're like, "Hey, we want you to be the rep for Rhode Island to hold the flag." And I was like, "Oh, absolutely." And that was like the first day because they kind of let you relax for that whole ceremony for the Fourth of July. And yeah, like I think about it at the time, like it's just another thing they have you do. And then, yeah, you show up and there's a lot of people down there and you're like, this is the first time I've seen people that aren't, you know, fellow new cadets or my chain of command. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just funny. Like never once did you, where well, you're sitting there, you're just enjoying the hour of peace, but never once did you, did I even really stop to think until now, like, oh wow, like all my teachers and cadre and everybody was like they're with you. Yeah. Yeah. I saw all of you guys. And, and you know, the funny part is I used to, um, when I, when I first got to West Point, I, I would look, you know, a bunch of tourists all over the place. And in particular, <laughs> there are a lot of Asian tourists that visit West Point, but they mm -hmm. always take pictures of you guys. Like, you know, I, I don't want to liken it to a zoo, but like you are a spectacle, <laughs> you know, and I always Certainly said, that yeah, I remember, I remember thinking, I said, I said, these cadets have no clue maybe what's happening to them or, 
you know, I wonder how they feel with, with folks just snapping photos up because they, they really don't I want to say they don't care about you, but like <laughs> you're a representative <laughs> of something else larger. Mm-hmm. You know, did you did you Absolutely. feel that pressure at all? Uh, not really at that time, because, you know, one of the big transitions from civilian to military is once you make that once you cross that bridge to a new cadet, like there's a twelve hundred other new cadets. And so part of you is kind of like, man, like you kind of get some identity back because, you know, as a new cadet, you know, in the back of your mind, they're not taking pictures of new cadet, you know, Joseph, they're taking pictures of the, yeah. the cadets, but it's still like kind of gives you a little bit of validation. Like when, whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm going through, like there's a bigger picture to this. So it definitely gives you a little bit of identity and it. It makes you feel special in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I, I tell you that the stuff that they, um, they give you guys, I mean, they're probably old uniform. I don't know, but you guys look, uh, pretty impressive. Um, as a, as a entity, as a unit, right. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with West Point and you, and the first thing you see is trophy point and cadets in, in, you know, the, uh, I forget, it's not white over gray. You guys are in all white, I think. Uh, well, maybe you were in white over gray. Um, I think it was white over gray cause we got fitted during beast for, um, the all whites. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think it was white over gray, but even seeing that, you know, I remember my kids coming out when you guys were like in formation and they were on the road marching alongside, they were barefoot <laughs> with like <laughs> with short on marching alongside you guys. So that, that was pretty cool. But from the other side, I, I could never imagine what that's like. Cause I, I didn't go through it. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about, um, I guess, transitioning from, you know, from the field being, being a plebe now and, and taking on that persona as a plebe. Uh, go, going into classes for that first semester? Going from your summer training, you, know, you have your, the transition between new cadet and plebe is a day. And that's when the whole core of cadets goes out. We do a, a parade, we do a formation, and they officially accept you as having passed Beast Barracks and you are now a member of the core cadets. Because mm-hmm. up until that point, you're still new cadets and you, you kind of like haven't proved yourself, I would say. So once you finish Beast, then you get accepted to the Corps Cadets through A-Day. You get a weekend with your family. When you check in that Monday, it's kind of like checking into your unit. They're no longer drill sergeants towards you. They're now You now have a team leader who is setting up your computer, setting up your room, making sure you have your books. And you just kind of have that first week to prep and look at all the course criteria starts getting sent out. Your teachers start to reach out. And you start to get treated you know, more. You get more responsibility now. Mm-hmm. And that that first semester, there's no amount of preparation <laughs> that anyone can do. That first semester hits you hard. Is it is it just a combination of like, um, I guess that the rigor of academics plus the military commitments, or is it like all day nonstop? You feel like you don't get a break. I think it depends on the person, but I know for myself, the outside of the classroom wasn't that difficult. There's not as much as you would think after classes especially during the week during the week you have your your company athletics but that's more fun and stress relieving than anything the classes it's the the workload from you know your your high school workload to this college level workload is a huge jump Mm -hmm. and the amount of credits you're taking as a plebe they overload you i think on purpose to kind of you know inoculate stress inoculation yeah so they give you you know 21 22 credit hours right off the bat you now go from high school having 40 pages of reading throughout all your classes, maybe an assignment or two to every class is a chapter from a book that's at least <laughs> 40 to 60 pages. 
on top of that, you have 20 questions. And it's like that for you have, I want to say I had six academic classes my first semester and one PT class. And so you have that just throughout the week. And it's just this nonstop grind of trying to balance getting rest, but also not falling behind. And yeah, yeah. Everyone I, struggles to find that. I try to explain to folks who's not familiar with West Point that, you know, the cadets, because it's interesting to watch you guys from a um, from an instructor's perspective. Like you're always on and every hour is somewhat managed. Like you kind of know what's happening every hour, even to the point of ESP, you know, even a study period. Uh, where you're yes. supposed to be studying. And then people are like checking to make sure um, that you're studying. And in one <laughs> instance, it kind of disciplines you in a good way, but it's, it, I imagine it can be constraining. And, and one of the big revelations I would make, I think I, I talked about this in the literature classroom, um, is that every time you guys cross the street to go to Thayer into the academic classrooms, you're making like a psychological shift from going to, you know, from military perspective and your TAC officers uh, where they're calling you cadet or plebe or your, your last name, and then you go into academic classroom where you're getting called by your first name. Did you did you feel that transition? Yes, absolutely. And that manifests from your cadet chain of command versus you know actual officers. And yeah, because you go in the classroom and now you know I'm Devin as opposed to you know private so and so. Yeah. And you can absolutely feel that. You, that's where you start to build your identity again is through those classes in Thayer Hall, your plebe year. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys look forward to, did you look forward to going to academic classes just so you can kind of have a breather or get away a little bit? Uh, at the beginning, yes. <laughs> Towards the end, academic classes, they were, uh, we had a very adversarial relationship. Yeah. <laughs> but I did, I did look forward to it mostly because the instructors throughout are, are pretty phenomenal. Very rarely do you get a, a teacher that's not willing to give everything they have for you or a teacher that's not willing to stay late or help you out and take you aside. Yeah. Yeah. West Point's like always voted the most accessible um, university or, or, you know, college or whatnot. Um, I can tell you from an instructor's perspective, like that, that divide, that, that road behind the, uh, I don't know the name of the road, but behind the baseball field there, the divide is there and, and sort of the barracks. Um, mm-hmm. for academics that work in Thayer and uh, Lincoln Hall and, and, and folks, like very rarely, and I'm making a generalization here, but very rarely do academics cross the street and kind of delve into the world of the cadets. Like I can't remember, oh, yeah, maybe you can tell me, A.O., if you can remember any time in the evening or at lunch where, you know, uh, instructors or professors would like pop up to your barracks room and say, hey, <laughs> maybe it might be weird. But, I, you know, I used to do that a little bit just to kind of get a sense on what was happening from the cadets perspective, um, because you guys are not always turned on in the classroom. But that doesn't mean you don't care. That means you got other stuff going on, like Sammy's or, mm-hmm. or stuff like that. So it helped me understand a holistic view uh, of what you guys had going on by visiting you in times where you could least expect it, <laughs> you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I hope, I hope the cadets that I did that to appreciate it. Uh, but it helped me, it helped give me some insight when I, when I taught, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a bubble around it. and I think if more instructors, more teachers did that, I think it would kind of help limit that fishbowl feeling you have as a cadet, like you said, around the barracks and on that military side of West Point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. What about uh, what about sports and academics uh, for the folks listening? Because I I talked about uh, the difference from being uh, you know at a place like Duke or Auburn, 
Um, and, and, you know, I, I tell you this, I don't know if we spoke about this before, but I, I made the comment. I said, you know, uh, the difference between I just learned this two or three weeks ago, the difference between, say, a West Point um, or a Auburn or Duke is that here at Duke, you have more of an international perspective about the things that you're talking about, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of international students in the room. Like, so, for example, I had a class last uh, semester and, you know, there was a student from Taiwan. There was a student from Singapore. Uh, a, a couple of students from India, uh, France. And so when we're talking about like go- globalization or like, you know, whatever the topic may be, half of the lecture may be in a different language or, or the students are like talking from a, a, a different perspective that you would get if you're like in a homogenous place, uh, you know, like the States or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. So any, I, I don't know what the question is there, but I, all of that to say that, you know, uh, West Point is a bit homogenous from from my perspective. And I didn't realize that to a couple of weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if you can you can talk about um, the, the literature class, because uh, I, I don't think I've ever asked you your memory of, of the class. Uh, I always tell people I did some wild stuff in the, cl- in the classroom. <laughs> I, I kind of walked the line a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering your perspective on all of that. Yeah. So first, I'll I'll touch on that point you just made. It was actually a great segment going from, you know, you talking about a more international perspective and then segmenting your class because your class was my plea beer. And, you know, you probably don't see it as much on the, the officer side and the, the teacher side of the house. But for cadets, West Point does a very good job of pulling or trying to evenly distribute from throughout the country. And again, you, you guys are older at this point. But for me, this was my first time interacting with people from outside of new england because you, you travel outside of where you're from but this is the first time where i'm like sitting down and truly having an intelligent conversation with people over yeah. their values and beliefs and their experiences and so your classroom out of all the classes i took really i think did the best at exposing the differences and beliefs and values and experiences that we all had because um, you start to identify or create sorry a, a shared sense of value towards your yuck and you know cow years your sophomore and your junior years mm-hmm. and it does become very homogenous but that first year that's i think where west point gets the most out of that even distribution because your class highlighted that especially the, the conversations and the topics that we discussed in there really you created an environment where people were comfortable and they felt safe and confident enough to explain their beliefs and the experiences as to how they developed those beliefs and everybody kind of came together to understand one another a lot more and that's not an experience I had in many other classes outside of, I want to say, some of my psychology classes towards my junior and senior year. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, I, I did some, <laughs> yeah, I always wonder why they let, um, you know, young captains come in and teach you guys because um, it, it's kind of risky. Um, Absolutely. But, but I think that, that, you know, most instructors that teach plebes have not been, um let me see the the right word. Uh, I don't know. Transformed by the the system, if you will. So you, I took mm-hmm. a lot of risks in the classroom under under the auspice of intellectual um, freedom. You know, uh, academic mm-hmm. freedom. Um, do you remember any specific assignments that like just pop up? Like I remember doing this or talking about that um, in, in your time in the lit classroom. Because I don't, I don't remember. I don't think I remember my syllabus there. I, I don't know if I still have those, but I know I spoke on identity. That was the theme of most all of my courses were identity. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think as I think plebes out of everyone at West Point, 
I think 18 year olds in general need more classes on identity. And when you had asked me to be on this podcast, I started to think back and write things down as much as I could trying to remember everything. Cause yeah, I also don't remember, you know, the syllabus, but what I do remember is the impression leaving your class and going to your class. I know that there was, how many instructors taught literature throughout the department? Cause it's a core class that everyone it's has It's a to core take. class. Yeah. Many? It was probably like, oof, gosh, it had to be about 15. Um, it was quite a bit. And, and many mm-hmm. of them were at the time, many of them were junior rotating faculty like me. Um, mm-hmm. And then you had a cohort of civilians um, yes. and there were about seven or eight of them. So it may had to be 15 or 20. Yeah. It's and the reason why I ask is there was people who took literature with major Caldwell at the still then major Caldwell. And then there was everyone else that took literature and the impressions leaving your class. Look, we went in there and the first, you know, using the Thayer method, the first 10 to 15 minutes is essentially your reconfirm zero on the information you're supposed to learn before you got there. And then after that, your class was just a deep dive into identity and who you are, who we are as an army, who we are as, you know, cadets at West Point. And I just remember every time entering your class, I was like, I know that I'm going to learn something today and I'm going to grow more, not necessarily as only an academic, but I'm going to grow more as a person and as a, as a man at the time. And yeah. that's something that we didn't get as much out of other classes because the liberties you took during that time, you know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking back and it's really, there was a lot of subjects back then that started to become taboo, especially because of the yep. political climate yep. of the United States. And a lot of instructors, I don't know if it was because they lacked the tool set or they lacked the, the you know, they didn't feel like they were competent enough to approach these subjects. But every time you taught your class and you took these liberties we had no you had the utmost confidence and we were all confident in the fact that hey he's gonna take us on this journey and we never like i said we never had to worry about the taboo like all the walls were broken down because you created the environment you created and i wish i could explain it more yeah but, yeah no it's all good i uh i, I explained the, the 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 assignment i don't know if you're in this class when i do this normally on lesson two i write the n-word on the dry erase board i'm on the chalkboard <laughs> were you in that class or was that composition no but you told us one day when you did that to a cow class yeah and you, you were telling us about your rea- their reactions and everything oh man it was visceral <laughs> it was, but you know <laughs> I, I i what i try to do is um and i think i explained this to you guys like in the military classroom you're not gonna you're not gonna get up and walk out because there's mm-hmm. rank involved, right? And there's fear in the room. You're not going to take out your cell phone and start recording things because it, you know, it's a structure of the classroom. But, I, mm-hmm. you know, I like to think that, you know, I was able to do some of those things because I, I built some trust and vulnerability on like the first day of class, maybe the first two lessons where you guys felt like, you know, this is uncharted territory and this is really uncomfortable. But, um, you know, this is a responsible way of getting after the same stuff we talk about in the in the barracks, but maybe not in a productive way. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I just I trusted that, you know, you guys would go back to the barracks and have those discussions anyway. But but now you're kind of equipped with a with a grammar to sort of talk mm-hmm. about them in concert with what's happening to you as a cadet. Um, because, you know, I, right now I mentor a cadet, uh, a couple of them that are still at the academy now. And I try to tell them all the time. I say, hey, if you're not. You're not conscious of how you're growing. You're going to graduate and not realize how you got there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that was sort of the most important thing to me is that you guys would take time to be introspective um, and, and think through that. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you do you remember any um, any bonds in the classroom 
that you made with folks that, that otherwise you wouldn't have ever probably talked to, not because you didn't like them or nothing like that, but like your your interest and their interest probably would never have crossed paths? Um, I don't think I created any specific, you know, individual bond or friendship, but the relationship that I had with the class and that we had in general was a lot closer overall. So I was close, like our class was very close just because of the conversations and the topics that we, that we touched together throughout that semester. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times once a semester ends, you're with a completely new group of people and you'll never see them again. But absolutely, like in your class, the students in my class, I was much closer with them throughout the semester than I was the students in my other classes. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I struggle, and I don't struggle with it anymore. I used to. Um, but I see folks, and you've probably seen folks on active duty too, who sort of, uh, I did a podcast called like the the military avatar. I don't know if I did this lesson with you guys that talked about the agency of the uniform and, and how we put all our agency and ribbons and badges. And, and once you put that uniform on, it kind of cloaks your identity in a way um, mm-hmm. where now you're, you're showing up every day, living two lives, you're living the life behind the uniform. And then when you take the uniform off there, there's, there's a person that exists who you hadn't really nurtured. Um, did, you know, did you get a sense in the cadet corps that that was happening with respect to the, the upperclassmen? Because um, um, I, I had some consternation with the way, um, you know, the honor code was dispensed. Uh, and, and, you know, this is me not seeing behind the curtains on the academic board or anything like that. Uh, but I always felt like, you know, cadets were in this world where they hadn't really nurtured their own identity. So they're sort of manifesting that which they think is is the right way to do business, you know, from their rank, a rank perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you ever thought about, have you thought about that? Yeah. So the, the honor code and then our avatar, both in and out of uniform. Those are, I think the conversation a link, but I do think they're separate because mm-hmm. just even hearing you say that now, you don't develop, I didn't start to develop my personal identity really until after I graduated. Like, I would even say, like, the last, man, the last three years, I feel like I've grown more as a pertinent person, and every six months, I'm evolving, not to a new person, but to a, a new version of myself, and I'm learning more about myself, and, you know, I'm 25 now, and I still feel like I don't really have a set of who I am, mm-hmm. and so thinking about it now, I, I do think, especially as an underclassman, your first two years, there's not much if any opportunity to grow outside of the uniform and to grow personally your freshman year you have one pass a semester plus whatever passes the football team or they give out for free but you have one opportunity that whole semester to be in civilian clothes you know on the weekend off post because you get your your walking privileges which are five miles but as a plebe you don't have a car and you get five miles but you got to walk two to get there yeah and when you're in that when you're in that bubble, like you were saying earlier, when you're on the other side of that road, you're in uniform as a plebe. You don't get to wear civilians in the barracks. You don't get to wear civilians to dinner. You're in uniform 24-7, essentially. During ESP, you have to be in uniform. I forget exactly when that ends, but I want to say it was 17 to, oh, no, it's 17 like, to it's, 1900. It's like, no, it's like 19 to 22 or something like that. Because you, you guys go yeah. do athletics from <laughs> 16 to 17, and you eat chow. Yeah. And then from 19 to uh, – I, I only remember this because I think 
I was assigned ESP watch one night. I had to like, <laughs> I had to like leave yeah. my house. I ate dinner with my kids and I came back down the hill to walk around and make sure folks were studying. And I would tell my cadets, uh, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but I would tell my cadets if they want to hide, just go behind Cullum Hall. Cause I used to smoke cigars back there <laughs> and I would smoke cigars with cadets back there. And we would talk about things doing ESP. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, but you know, it's, it was good. Cause they were able to talk through what was going on and, and, and some mentorship happened. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's funny how they structure y'all's day like that. You know, I was explaining, um, um, I didn't learn this till later. Uh, I think after did I learn it? No, I learned this before I got to West Point, this idea of the, the platonic democracy I was talking about, like how West Point, really uh, prides itself on recreating like this Greek type of society or democracy where the army values are so much embedded in the cadet corps that there's not room for a lot of other stuff. And so you kind of remade into um, a more noble, selfless, you know, citizen soldier when you graduate. But the Mm -hmm. the problem being, though, that, you know, when you leave West Point and enter the world, you have to navigate dual sort of dual identities you know, being a citizen mm-hmm. and a soldier. And I remember talking to a cadet who told me that they, when they left West Point, they did not know how to grocery shop. <laughs> you know, like the, I think the difference between going to a regular undergrad doing ROTC and, and you, you probably, you probably fall in that category too, Devin. <laughs> oh, I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah. But the difference between like a West Point and an ROTC is that you kind of learn life lessons early on, you know, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, at West Point, everything's kind of like, you know, structured in a way where, where you can kind of not go on autopilot, but you don't have to worry about some things. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. And it's funny. I'll, I, you know, I'll pose this as a question. So you keep bringing up, you know, dual identity. Yeah. The fact that we're even saying dual identity, do you think that that highlights a failure in the system itself? Like, should we not have one identity that transfers over to both? Like, is there does there need to be a divide between citizen and soldier? I, you know, I don't think so. I, I, I think the goal is to merge the two. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think it's very hard uh, only because the, the modern society and like, I, yeah, I try to explain this to, to my cohort and colleagues here at Duke all the time or even when I was at Auburn. They, they just don't understand it. And it's not because they don't want to. They just don't have the experiences of shared hardship and camaraderie. And, and they, you know, you, you're in an environment every day where you're, you're sort of bonded by by values, you know. And then even in the classroom, part of the reason why we can do so much in that literature classroom is because when you look at one another, you all look the same. You got on the same uniform. And mm-hmm. so you guys are so are, are we are so sort of inoculated by rank and power that by the time I get past your rank and all the stuff on your uniform, I don't really have time to think about your gender or race. Mm. And I think that's that's the purpose of it. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So that that's really hard when now you go into a different environment and you've probably seen this or or you will when you PCS the friends you make at your duty station now. So you you probably won't talk to them when you leave. Mm -hmm. And it's not because you guys are not tight, but you you, kind of you break out of that that sort of atmosphere where you can look at another person, and you guys be bonded by shared hardship. Even if that shared hardship is sitting through a three-hour meeting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And so, I mean, to answer <laughs> your question, I I I don't think the military fails in 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 the the idea that um, you know, there 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 exists a dual identity. I do think that the military is undermined it, um, by. <laughs> we gotta be careful when I make this statement. 
I do think the military and the way it functions is undermined by a vast democracy of folks who are are just able to to function without a set value system or a value system that that bumps up against other people's beliefs. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Not that that's, that's a bad thing, but I think once you're in the military. I mean, it, it's his own world. You know, you, you have uniform code of military justice. If you're on a military base, you have to pass people with guns to even get access to the base. And the base mm-hmm. has a grocery store and it has the, the mall and all the utilities. It's his own separate world. And it's, and it's primarily socialistic, right? As opposed to mm-hmm. like a capitalist society where the acquisition of wealth is the motivator. Um, and so that, that, that distinguishing characteristic there just makes it very hard to transition both spaces. Um, mm-hmm. And then you layer on top of that deployment and what happens when you go to, to combat um, and, and you have to come back. You know, So I just think it's a, a complicated scenario where nobody intends to get it wrong. I mm-hmm. just think the merger of those two worlds, it, ma- it makes it very hard if you're not thoughtful that they exist, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a long way absolutely. to answer your question. <laughs> Absolutely. But it is, it's a very, it's not an easy question. I don't think to answer because you do make a very good point, you know, outside of the military, you know, I obviously don't have any work experience outside of there besides jobs I did in high school, but yeah, I, you didn't really need to have two identities, at least, you know, my limited experience. And maybe you can touch on this, but yeah, like, I feel like there's not as much as this dual, this dual identity. Like you kind of hire you who you are through everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, uh, I don't know if I gave you guys this assignment, but uh, there was a teacher in Florida who just got fired for making his students write an obituary. I don't know if you read this story. Um, no, I have not. Yeah. So he's a psychology teacher. Now, granted, he did it in, in the midst of a active shooter drill, which is, you know, <laughs> context is everything. I don't know that I would do something like that. Um, were you in my, did I give you guys that assignment? Or, or did that come later? No, you did not have us write an obituary. Okay, I did that, I think, my second year. Um, mm-hmm. But what, so I, I use this example uh, because I was talking to my sister the other day and we were talking about building trust and the difference between like the military and, and civilian sector. And I could be wrong, but I, I doubt it in this case. When, when I used to make my students write their obituaries, and I did this all the way up to like my last job when I was a brigade XO, I would make captains do it. They look at me like I was crazy, Devin, you mm-hmm. know, if I tell them to do something like that. But there's a couple of benefits that I got from doing that as an assignment. And, and I would challenge you to do it, too, if you haven't done it already. It's really powerful. Um, n- number one, you know, I would tell them, I say, hey, consider the fact that you might die today. N- you know, you don't want that to happen, but consider that might happen. Um, what would you want to be said about you? Really think about the things that are really important to you and, and sort of write down that narrative. And, and in doing that exercise, you're going to find out the things that are really important to you. And you're probably going to reprioritize your efforts. To, to make those things more important. And then, and then two, mm-hmm. you know, given that assignment, I could see who took me seriously in the classroom um, because mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't tell them how to submit it. I just say, write this obituary. I gave them a prompt um, and I didn't tell them how to submit it. I didn't tell them, you know, I, I gave them a deadline, but that was about it. So if, if folks texted to me, if they emailed it to me, if they wrote it out on a sheet of paper or, you know, they typed it out and handed it in, then that told me a little bit about how they communicate. Right. Mm-hmm. And I would take all of those obituaries and I would go home and I would read them. And mm-hmm. if folks were really honest with what they were doing. And again, you got to have some trust to be able to do this because this is a very sort of a vulnerable assignment, you know. Um, but if they if they if we built that trust and, and, and they did that and about 60 percent of them did, 
um, I would learn more in 10 minutes of reading that obituary about them than I would having a 30 minute conversation with them, mm-hmm. you know, and then they can kind of reframe uh, the, the way they saw they saw the world. Right. So I was telling my sister over the phone, I said, you know, um, not to say that corporate America should do this type of assignment, but like what happens when when you do that type of assignment is a greater level of understanding of one another. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you come to class and like you're you're bummed out about something. I'm not assuming that you just don't don't give a shit about the class. Like you have something going on with one of those things that are way more priority than 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 me or the military, for example. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So that that built that act of building trust can exist in the military, whereas it's hard to try to do something like that in civil society because there's so many barriers, you know. But in the military, I can use rank as a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to to sort of do some creative things with leadership. Um, yeah, and, you could put that on a forty-eight fifty-six. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You know, so long as I'm not irresponsible with it, I can do some things. Mm-hmm. And my my goal is, and I think we've always talked about this, is like you know, to to be an authentic leader. One of the ways you do that is like penetrating the uniform and getting to the person. You know, absolutely, like getting to the person, like calling that person by their first name, just sort of, you know takes them out of their system of thinking um, and opens up a lot of stuff. And there's a risk to that, you know, because <laughs> you still got to maintain control. But like if there's a way to, to, to sort of penetrate the uniform, then that's, that's ultimately a good thing for the organization, I think. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, having you be my mentor for the last seven years, I think that's one of the, you helped form one of the most foundational pillars of my leadership style, which is, like you said, moving beyond that. Because with rank, anyone can get anyone to... Let me rephrase. With rank, you can get people to essentially do their jobs in the Army with minimal effort. You know, you're Lieutenant Colonel, I'm a Lieutenant. Hey, this needs to get done and I'll do it. Yep. But in order to really make change and to really, in my mind, be a good leader, you have to penetrate that to make a lasting impact and to exceed the standards, not just achieve them or not just get the mission done, but get somebody to own the mission, learn from it, grow from it. So the next time you don't have to come back around and have them like tell them to do this. And the control piece is big to that. That's one thing that as a young platoon leader, I definitely had a hard time learning to balance. But once you do learn that balance and once you do learn how to do that responsibly, I've seen huge improvements in buy-in, motivation, and growth from, you know, the soldiers underneath me. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes complete sense, man. Um, hold on one second, Devin. Um, yeah, man, that makes complete sense. I, somebody was knocking on the studio door here. Um, yeah, so it, are you mentoring anybody right now? Do you have any mentees? Um, not so much like you and I. Uh, I do have to get better at that, you know, outside of work. But as an XO, you know, it's lucky I can kind of pick and choose now. As a platoon leader, you know, you have everyone to include your problem children and yeah. you spend most of your time on them. But I found as an XO, I can kind of pick and choose who I pull aside. And I also learned as a platoon leader, like, man, your time and your impact is so limited. So now every interaction I have with junior soldiers, I try and leave them better than when I found them or try and pull them through in a way. If that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. My, you know, my, my impression in, in classes were, um, 
You know, because people, I, I tell you, you know, I got this in, invitation to go back to teach at West Point, and I got a lot of folks mm-hmm. telling me that's not the right, that's not the right way to go. Um, because I mean, thankfully they they have some uh, hope in my potential to do other things. Um, but what I tell folks, especially when I was teaching, and this applies to you as an XO, especially because you have so much autonomy. You know, even mm-hmm. when you go over to the to the uh, force support company, you're gonna have some autonomy there. Uh, is when I went into the classroom, and I, generally speaking, the class is about what sixteen, eighteen students, sixteen, eighteen, could yeah. somewhere like that. Small. Yeah, small. But, you know, I had four sections and I was there for four semesters. So you do the math on that. Right. And I'm assuming that, you know, 95 percent of the cadets that I taught are going to have platoons. Right. So Mm -hmm. when you you start to multiply, you know, 16 times four times four times two, whatever X number that is. But then you multiply that by the 20 some odd cadets or or, or, or soldiers, call it 25. That's lowballing it probably um, that each Mm -hmm. each cadet will have. Then I got a sense that I'm affecting thousands of people. Mm. Right. And when I think about it like that, every time I came into the classroom, I thought like that. So I say, you know, I got to be very conscious about what I say, not to not to drive ideology. And I'm curious, did you ever feel like in the literature classroom I was trying to drive or push an agenda? And this this is my my knowledge. This is not to like verify that I was not doing that. Because, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, we, because we talked about so many um very sensitive topics. Uh, the apprehension could be from from some that oh he's got an agenda, and I never saw it like that. I thought what I was trying to do, having having deployed prior to teaching you guys, was to suggest that you you're going to lead people who don't look like you in places that you've never been, and and you bet have better understand you know the dynamics and the complexity of the human condition. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I'm wondering from your from your seat, did you? Did you ever feel like I was pushing an agenda or were there times where you were uncomfortable and you're like, uh, this ain't, this ain't for me today. <laughs> so now I have to be careful how I answer this question. Okay. I, I felt like you and a lot of the reason why people thought what you were doing was, you know, you said you did some crazy things in the classroom. You were one of the few that was not, not you know, it's difficult. I don't want to say that everyone's pushing ideology, but you were definitely a free spirit if you will you know you were not ideology and i think that's why you were able to get the trust that you had from your students and the buy-in and the second half you know was i ever uncomfortable absolutely we had a lot of conversations that made a lot of us uncomfortable but in a good uncomfortable and an uncomfortable that gets you to grow yeah 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 well i'm happy to hear that not at all yeah, I'm happy to hear that. Normally, you would hear at a place like West Point. I always tell people West Point will protect themselves at all costs. So, like, <laughs> they would come if, if if I did anything, you know, if somebody's knocking at the door, you know, then I knew I did something wrong. But I I was surprised at how risky I was able to get without uh, without reprimand. I think because it came from a good place, and I was ve- mm-hmm. I was very thoughtful about everything that I did to to make sure that I didn't like. You know, I didn't I guess I didn't have a concern about making you guys uncomfortable because, I mean, hell, you come out and you might go to war. Like, (laughs) so but I know I couldn't do half of the stuff I did at West Point at a public institution. There's no way I could do some of that stuff, um, even (laughs) in a place like Duke. It would be it would be hard to do that. So I was grateful for having that type of pedagogical approach. Um, We're coming up on 50 minutes. I want to respect your time, man. Um, is there anything else you want to elaborate on that we maybe didn't get to today? Um, or if you got any questions for me, that you know that's that's cool too. I'll, I'll answer them the best I can. 
man, we really went through a lot today. We did. <laughs> I had I had questions coming in, but now you know you got my brain spinning again as we normally do when we talk. <laughs> That's fair. That is fair. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get back to you after this because I'll certainly have questions once I digest everything we just spoke about. That's okay. That's okay. What I've what I've been doing is sharing um, book recommendations at the end. I have three. Um, and I don't know how long I'm going to keep this up. I probably exhaust all the books that are in my head, but I'm just like, I'm trying to think about books that like, uh, apply to the conversation we just had. And I have three. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have any, any good books you read in, in the past, uh, you know, in, recently, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So I just got done reading a few months back. Um, not a good day to die. And it's essentially about the events of Tucker Gar and everything around it. And the, the first hundred pages are a little bit dry because yeah. it goes in and talks about all the units and how they interact because that's a seminal piece to the, the whole book is the units and their interaction. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, I would recommend that. Okay. Um, Who, who's it? Do you know who's the, it by? Not off the top of my I head. I can look now. it up. I can look it up here. That's all good. Now yeah, it covers Tucker Gar and Operation Anaconda and everything that goes into oh, that. Sean a lot Naylor. Of Yes. Yeah, Untold Story of Operation Anaconda. You know what's funny about that? My old, um, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. My old, uh, I guess he's still the current division commander of the 25th Infantry Division, was telling me stories about Anaconda because um, mm-hmm. he was out there, and, and he has some pretty gnarly stories, man. Like it was it was crazy. I'm going to get in trouble for using the word gnarly, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> all, of my, all of my black friends, all my black friends, gonna come. They're gonna come for me, like they did when I told them I like Coldplay. Um, <laughs> oh my lord! Well, hey, I, I'm telling you, that's gonna happen. Hey, uh, <laughs> I, the three books I picked out. Thanks for that recommendation. Let me let me go back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the three books I picked out. Um, one one is The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Have you ever read that book? It's a short book. No, I've never even heard of it. Yeah, it's like a book of uh, it's it's poetry, but it's like prose poetry, and and he really talks about the human experience. It, now, all of these three books are are from older folks, um, and I forget the date that the prophet was. I mean, I think the hundred year anniversary is coming up, but it, it it's sort of an exploration of the human experience. Uh, it talks about like different subjects, and each poem captures like you know, the essence of, of the subject matter in a way that's simple and it's, and it's really profound. Uh, so the prophet mm-hmm. by Khalil Gibran is one. Uh, the second one is meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Are you familiar with mm-hmm. that one? You know, yes. Yeah. And, you know, this is like advice from an emperor himself, very stoic, um, mm-hmm. wide range of, of topics, uh, really, really good. And they're short reads. Uh, but it has you reflecting on self-discipline and like the virtue of humility and kindness. This this last one, is, I just read this last one, oddly enough, as a literature major, uh, English major, should have read this a long time ago. But The Stranger by Albert, Albert Camus. Are you familiar with The Stranger? Mm-hmm. Negative. Yeah. So this one is like um, this, this arguably nihilistic character um, who, you know, he explores themes of like alienation and isolation. It's kind of it's kind of. I don't want to say pessimistic, but it, it makes you think about uh, life in a, in a thought-provoking way. It's very complex, but it's an easy read, um, and it, cha- mm-hmm. it challenges readers to, to question their own beliefs and values, which is, I think, what we've been talking about today. Uh, one is, you know, crossing the boundaries um, and what, what it's like to, to kind of do that mentally and physically. But then, two, just kind of questioning the world around you, what you see and how you can influence it. Um, 
And then the fourth one is your book, Not a Good Day to Die by Sean Naylor. Um, so those are those are the, the four that we got today. Hey, before I, I let you go, uh, Devin, I, hey, I really appreciate it, man. Um, you know, we'll continue to talk as, as you continue along your journey and adventure in the military. And, and I'll share with you some of what I'm seeing here. Um, but I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, sir. Thanks for having me on. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Hey, by the way, right. I'm sorry. Hey, real quick. What I'm going to do, I'm going to send you this um, yep. because this is going to be a good uh, – you, know, you didn't know this, but I'm going to send this to you. And um, you, I don't know if you've done this, but you, you could – you know, you play it back. And um, it's, it's, this has been a really good tool for me to practice public speaking. So, like, mm-hmm. I can listen to myself and I can count the verbal the verbalized pauses or, you know, if I need to slow down when I speak and things like that. So – I, I want you to try to use that for for your benefit too. I don't, the army doesn't do uh, public speaking like training, um, so this is a good mm-hmm. way to sort of do some of that, and then we'll we'll talk about it. All right, I, I have a funny feeling I'm gonna hear this back. And no, you're fine, man. Video. Yeah, everything you said <laughs> made sense, um, and I can understand it. So no worries, <laughs> no worries. All right, brother. Sir. Well, you take it easy, man. Have a good rest of the day or good morning. Rest Thanks, of the morning. You for too. You. All right. Have a good one. All right, man. You take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Cool. So that was Devin, um, student from 2017 um, or 2016, rather. That was a long time ago. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was really, really cool uh, for me to do, and I'm sure I'm going to listen to it, and I'll have some um, <laughs> some reflections on that. And, uh, and and I learned something today from, from listening to Devin as well. Uh, so – I really appreciate his time. And next uh, next podcast, I'm going to have a uh, another student on, um, a uh, a black cadet. Not that it well, – I guess it does matter, yeah. And, and, and we'll talk about his perceptions of West Point based on the podcast um, uh, about, you know, West Point and, and the way it, it appeals and looks to certain people. That'll be uh, hopefully a week from now, but but we'll have a similar conversation. And and I hope you don't get a sense that I'm trying to drive the conversation. I am not um, part of this. You know, I've never solicited feedback from my students, uh, so this is cool for me to hear too. And I'm happy that I could you know maintain a relationship this long with a couple of my students, whereas now they they see me as a mentor as opposed to an instructor. So uh, thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And um, as we uh, we exit today, hope you keep listening and refer this and share it with your friends and hope you're learning just like me. So thanks a lot and uh, see you soon.